I'm your host, John Pope, and this is 100% Podcast. Today, I'm honored to have Chaz Walker as my guest. Chaz is our Executive Vice President of Global Strategy here at Pope Corporation. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you, John. I'm happy to be here. So Chaz and I have known each other for a long time, um, actually since junior high school. So um, it makes it even uh, even more exciting um, to be working with Chaz and have him on the show. Um, Chaz has spent the last 15 years um, acting as um, the corporate real estate department for large organizations um, in a variety of different roles. I'll let him get in, get more into that later. Um, I consider Chaz to be one of the most knowledgeable people that I've ever met um, in regards to real estate. Um, I call him the walking Swiss army knife of real estate. Um, welcome to the show, Chaz. Well, thank you, John. That's a, uh, that's a very generous introduction. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Perfect. What is, tell, tell me a little bit about your background. I mean, how did you get into real estate originally? Well, I, uh, I've always been interested in real estate, really, uh, since, I was a, since I was a kid. Um, and I knew that, at some, that, that always, at some, in some form or fashion, my career would include real estate. Um, so when I went to school, I, I sought out uh, the most useful uh, major that I could. I, I tried to get the most education that I could in real estate, and that's really continued throughout my career. Um, so I, I developed a great network while I was in, in uh, school, um, ended up meeting, uh, ended up coming into an internship while I was still at, uh, at SMU. Um, that turned into a, a long-term career, uh, a 15-year career. Um, so throughout my career, I've, I've continued to just seek out the most education that I can and become uh, as knowledgeable about really every aspect of real estate that I can. Um, Part of that included going to school for four years to earn a CCIM de- designation. Uh, it stands for Certified Commercial Investment Member. Um, and I've, I've had a, a tremendous opportunity throughout my career to either do or see or oversee very closely every major discipline within the corporate real estate umbrella um, for large corporate national clients. So what, what is your, when you go in and you meet with a potential client, a large, large company with, say, 500 locations, mm-hmm. I mean, how do, you, how do you get started on that? Well, I think every client engagement, for, for me, at least how I approach it, is it starts with a discovery phase. So we interview uh, the executive leadership, understand, really understand their organizational goals and strategies. And then from there, we start to gather information about their real estate portfolio and uh, start to establish metrics and KPIs and benchmarks. And from there, it really starts to become clear to us um, specific actionable items that we can start implementing and developing a strategy around how to best optimize real estate portfolios to support the overarching company goals. Got it. I mean, it's, it's a... How data-driven is your process, is our process? You know, I, I think there is always a tremendous amount of uh, data driving decisions, strategic decisions that we make in terms of real estate portfolios. Um, one of the things I do like most about real estate is regardless of 
the data and the metrics and all of that, it always all comes down to it is a, a, a personal people business. Real estate is how the employee, the worker, views physically how the company views them. And there's, there's a personal interaction that occurs within a real estate portfolio. And, um, and that, that's one of the things that excites me is uh, all of these metrics and all of the data is, is critical in, in understanding how to maximize shareholder value, optimize strategies around client organizations. But there is always still an underlying true personal connection between real estate, the employee, and the company leadership. And I think that always needs to be uh, maintained at least in the back of everyone's mind as you're, as you're developing these strategies around data and, and all of that. Um, so has there been a common theme that you've seen throughout your 15 years um, in terms of ways that, you know, if, if you're a CEO of a company or a real estate director watching this show and you would like to take a step to improve your organization, um, and optimize your process. Is, is there a common theme that you've seen that you know typically companies can improve this or? Uh... You know, I, I think there, there's such a wide variety of, uh, of organizations out there, but the common theme that I've seen is that real estate itself, the portfolio, typically is the number two expense for companies behind payroll, and um, I think there's always a desire to make um, the employee experience as good as it can be. I, I think there's there's a general desire of, of most organizations that we we engage with to to at least um, improve, make their company somewhere that people want to be. Um, and with an expense such as a real estate portfolio that is such a large company expense, regardless of the industry organization, whatever it is, um, even, even incremental optimizations can make a tremendous impact to not only the employee, the work environment, um, the leadership team, how the team interacts, especially with M&A activity. Um, the real estate can, can be a driving force into integrating two disparate organizations. Um, so it can affect all those things, and it can it can truly drive uh, improving shareholder value. Um, so I, th I think that the the common theme is that real estate is is a binding force and just a critical critical factor in the performance and optimization of of companies, regardless of industry. Okay, um, you know you you've covered so many different functions within the corporate real estate umbrella. I mean, every, every function really down from um, analyzing the data on the front end to um, the construction management to the IT coordination. Mm -hmm. um, one, of the, one of the aspects that I don't think a lot of people are aware of that even exist um, is the facility management role. Take a company with 70 locations around the country. Tell me about how you can handle their facility management um, here at Pope Corporation and um, you know, how that could potentially help them. Well, I, I think you're exactly right. A lot of people are not aware of, of that function. A lot of people have nobody overseeing that function, even though the function still exists uh, within portfolios of, of many different sizes. Um, 
One of the things that I'm very excited about at Pope Corp specifically is the, uh, the software platform uh, that's able to integrate a tool and a resource for locations across the country to be able to submit uh, facility tickets, whether they have a light bulb out or uh, a sink is clogged or you know they need a spot on a wall to be touched up with paint. Um, the, the process of actually formalizing those requests and implementing a true system, a ticket management system uh, like we have here, is that trends start to become apparent and you're able to, to see the data and digest it in a way such that you can identify problem areas, whether it's a portfolio-wide issue or um, you know, specific to certain locations. And we can start to address those things strategically rather than reactively. Uh, for example, if HVAC is a tremendous issue in a certain region, then we can address those things in a lease renewal or a relocation um, proactively rather than being stuck with, with a lease that doesn't fit a company's needs. And whether or not leadership realizes it or the employees on the ground in that region realize it, us being able to identify that data and use it effectively in something like a lease will have a tremendous impact on their comfort living in that space for the next however long their term is and will have a great impact on the bottom line to the company. Absolutely. One of the areas that I've seen um, a, a tremendous amount of wasted money in and overpayment in is the operating expense um, area. You know, uh, we, we work so hard to negotiate the rent, the base rent, and tenants get these operating expense statements and, you know, they just pay them. And uh, there's a lot of inaccuracies. Can you kind of go into... Um, to that side of the business, how, how you oversee that process and, and make sure that companies are not overpaying? Absolutely. Um, and, you, and you're exactly right. I, it's, it's incredibly common for especially organizations that don't give a tremendous amount of focus to their real estate portfolio that they will just receive it when it comes time, that time of year, to uh, true up expenses and provide reconciliations. Landlords will send those out and accounting departments will just cut checks. Um, and and it's, not, it's not even that uh, anyone is trying to be underhanded or do anything like that. It's, it's just the nature of human nature. People make mistakes and even small mistakes on something like an operating expense reconciliation can, can turn into uh, large amounts of money. Um, so if, if statements are being received and checks are simply being cut with no oversight, um, th that can have a, have a large impact on the bottom line. Um, so what we do is we, we come in every year and uh, compare, really reconcile these statements from landlords against what the lease says, uh, against what uh, individual actual raw expense data is for each location, um, come up with our own calculations and compare. Many times, everything is accurate, but it's those instances where you do find a discrepancy uh, and you're able to go back and save a client money. However much that is, I, I, I find a, a tremendous amount of satisfaction in knowing that uh, we, we are paying attention and we're paying 
what truly is owed on these operating expense reconciliations uh, and that, you know, no mistakes are being made and we have a comfort level that we're really paying what we should be. Absolutely. Interesting. Um, you know, as, as real estate consultants representing companies um, on their entire portfolio all around the country, hundreds of locations, um, you know, we, we, we manage a lot of local brokers. Um, can you talk a little, little bit about that process? Um, because I think a, a lot of people watching this video, uh, watching the show, might not know the difference between a consultant and a broker, pure broker. And so can, can you kind of talk about what we do in that respect? Well, there's, there's a lot to this. Um, uh, so there's, there's always the desire to maintain on these large portfolios local expertise. Um, at the same time, most typical organizations would have a, have a need to maintain local expertise through the filter of the overarching company strategy for the portfolio. Um, so that's really where we come in. Um, mo the, so the typical tenant rep broker model would be on a, on a national portfolio would be there's one account manager, um, who is incentivized by commission splits and they will seek out someone and they're locked into their, someone within their own company and they seek out usually uh, a very junior broker in each market that they have a need in and they will um, you know, reach an agreement with that junior broker. The junior broker will uh, be a, be de-incentivized because a lot of their fee uh, for their work and time and effort and knowledge and expertise is uh, is minimized by um, by this account manager um, and really the only incentive there is is the fee um, so they're making decisions on a local basis um, as opposed to making strategic decisions for the company um, so our approach really is to integrate into our client organizations as a true, uh, true member of the team, um, as a true consultant overseeing the real estate portfolio. We are able to interview any local broker that we want, regardless of company or affiliation, identify the, most, uh, the best fit uh, for each requirement, regardless of what it is. Um, one broker may not be the best answer for every assignment and every requirement. So we take the time to actually interview, get to know these local brokers. We already have a tremendous network of local brokers who we have a, a very successful history with. Um, and then maintain oversight of the entire process from site selection to lease negotiation, uh, maintaining the company strategy, First, as, as a prism through which we view all of these specific uh, local options. That, and, and then we engage the local team, let the local team be a part of the process, um, and their input is, is valuable, invaluable, really. And, um, and then uh, make sure that, that really throughout the process, the, the company process is maintained, not just the local broker's process that they're used to. We like to ins to make sure that the company strategic process is maintained throughout 
the entire transaction and that each, every single transaction perfectly supports the overarching strategy of the company. One of the areas that I've seen um, a lot, another area of waste, um, really because of a, um, a um, disconnect in, in the information and what the tenants and most brokers know versus um, what the general contractors know is in the construction side of the business. Um, you know, a tenant nine times out of 10 will not know whether they should be paying $15,000 for this HVAC unit or $7,500. They just don't have the resources or the knowledge to be able to really look at these, these bids and these, these uh, construction projects and, and drive down the cost while, while still making sure they get what they need. Um, first of all, do you agree with that? And, and secondly, you know, how, you know, how do you view the build-out process? Well, I, I absolutely agree with that, first of all. Um, and the, uh, it, it's a really critical process to go through. Um, so once you've, you've negotiated these leases and these terms, and you know, whether it's a TI allowance or a turnkey deal or whatever it is, um, there's, there's a process that takes place that in, unless you have knowledgeable people inserted into the process, overseeing the process, you can get into a lot of trouble as a tenant. I, I, um, I can think of several examples where uh, we've received phone calls that, uh, you know, this deal was presented to, to, some, to a tenant and, um, you know, everything was, uh, was great at first and now they're in the middle of this project and it's out of control and costs are, they have tremendous, tremendous cost overruns, I mean, to the tune of millions of dollars and they don't know where everything went wrong. And, um, and that's really where we come in. Um, I, you know, we have a very defined project coordination, construction management process that we like to implement. Um, and uh, it, it really starts once a lease is executed, we kick off into construction document development. We work with the architects, review the CDs, we make sure that at that point we capture any potential pitfalls or mistakes. Um, and, and, and that really goes back to having construction standards or branding standards for a company. We make sure and we review with local leadership what it is that they want in their space and that this space really is going to meet the needs of the team. Um, so where we do get into trouble is, you know, people who don't go through that process. And it's not typical for anybody to go through that process if you don't have someone overseeing the project who knows what they're talking about. Um, most local teams, most users of the space will not know what they're looking at if they, they are handed you know, a permit set of, uh, of construction documents. Well, neither will brokers. Neither will brokers. Same right, brokers won't know that. Exactly. They get, they complete the transaction and then they're out of the picture. They're on to the next, next transaction. Um, and that, the point at which the lease is executed, that's really when we get going doing the work of making the space. Um, so, you know, it's important that you have someone overseeing the architect from the very beginning. You go through the right, you develop the correct program for the team. You, you know, you can have the best architect in the world. And if they're not designing a space, 
that meets the needs of your program, you're going to be left with a space that's beautiful, but it might not meet your needs. Um, so really, it, it all starts at that beginning stage. We, we dig in as deeply as we can, make sure we capture as many issues as we can at the front end. And then if we do that and, and we, we're, you know, we go through a proper bid process with GCs and level the bids and vet everything out, we have a, a very high likelihood that this, we will end up with a finished product that meets everyone's needs, we don't have any surprises, we stay within budget, and, and we move in and everything is great. It's when we don't do those things on the front end properly, budgeting properly, value engineering if we need to, to stay within our allowance or, or budget or whatever it is, um, to make sure that we don't have cost overruns, and make sure that we don't run into you know, countless change orders. I've, I, you know, I've, I've, it's that scenario where I get a call, someone's in the middle of a project and I'm asked to step in and, and, and you're just in the middle of, you know, so many change orders. It, it's really, it, it's a tough situation to try to remain within budget and, and still end up with a space that meets your needs. So getting all this stuff right on the front end, I think is just critical. Um, you make sure it's on time, you can stay on schedule, you can stay on budget, and everyone is thrilled with the space when they move in because they had a hand in, in designing it and in, in laying out what their specific needs were. And then from that point, we design the perfect space for them and make sure that uh, you know, through really getting our certificate of occupancy, everything is perfect. Well, tell me about how you saved companies money on furniture. Well, that was something that was interesting to me. That, that's really, a, it goes hand in hand with the construction process, really. So um, design, first, you, you really start with, uh, you know, interviewing the leadership teams, the local teams. What do they really need? What function do they need with this furniture? What's the, you know, marketing teams? What does it need to look like? What's the brand? And, and how does this thing need to function? I've never met in my entire career... Um, either a, a local team member or an executive team member who actually has, has cared um, if they have a Herman Miller workstation or a Steelcase workstation or a Knoll workstation. It, it, you know, no one really has a, a strong opinion in my experience with that. Um, and so, but the, but the way the industry is formed is such that uh, these brands will uh, engage local dealerships, much like a car dealership, to only sell their brand of furniture. And um, alignments are made. And uh, let me let me let me step in here. When you say alignments, are you specifically talking about between the architecture firm that is hired to design the space and the furniture vendors? Is that what you're? It's both. Okay. So furniture dealers will align with manufacturers and then architects will align with furniture dealers. And there's, there's a lot of money that changes hands on, on bigger projects. Um, so we've, we've had a lot of success with leveraging not only um, economies of scale, purchasing power with large portfolios, uh, but also with, with um, establishing relationships with non-aligned uh, furniture dealers. So 
the the way <laughs> the way so the typical process would be a tenant enters into a lease the landlord you know engages an architect that architect will have their you know their preferred furniture vendors and many times a tenant will not have the knowledge or expertise to go through a furniture uh, evaluation process design bid process and selection process um so we we do um and Many times the architect will simply say, okay, we have, we have alignments with these, you know, four furniture dealerships. Um, so we will bid out the furniture to those dealerships um, and present the options to the client. They can pick. They're all going to be about the same. They're all going to look, have the same look and feel. They will all be expensive. Um, but the bid process took place. Bids were leveled, and uh, and the everyone feels on the surface like that's the best they can do, even though a lot of these things can become tremendously expensive. We we had as we were rolling out a national a large national client, um, we we just we we thought there had to be a better way, um, so we started seeking out non-aligned furniture vendors. Uh, we are able to what we found is these vendors for the most part, are able to provide almost the exact same furniture, definitely the exact same quality, warranties, all of those things, um, meet the function, meet the brand, meet the look and feel, make everyone very happy with the end result. However, they're not paying all of these fees to the architects and back to these huge manufacturers. And those savings translate directly to our clients. Um, and we're, we're talking millions of dollars on aggregate. We're talking millions of dollars. Depending on the size of the portfolio, you can easily save millions of dollars simply by going with a non-aligned furniture dealer. They can, they can get you a workstation from this manufacturer and a chairs from that manufacturer and tables from a third manufacturer. And um, it, that ultimately makes a very large impact on the cost of the project. Interesting. Well, one... So one of my last questions for you is, so w when we're engaged with a client, uh, we've, we've, we've gone through this discovery process, um, we have um, analyzed the situation, we've developed a plan. What type of reporting do you provide and, and what do you find that specifically the executive team likes to see? Uh, how often, what do they like to see? Um, how much do they like to be involved? Um, Tell me a little, bit, a little bit about that. Of course. Well, uh, I think executive reporting on, on larger portfolios is, is a critical piece of, of overseeing a real estate portfolio. Um, it's, it's enabling the executive team uh, to have the, the knowledge and comprehension of what they have. And once these uh, metrics and KPIs and benchmarks are established, once, once those things are in place, the executive team is able to see that comprehend it, digest it, and from there start to have ideas about developing strategies about where we can actually take the real estate to optimize the portfolio to best support their company strategy. And in doing so, even small, small uh, or incremental changes to uh, an entire portfolio when applied and executed, implemented across the board 
can make tremendous changes to uh, shareholder value, to the bottom line. It can save tremendous amounts of money not, and can make the entire workforce more efficient. So, th- I mean, things we track are density across the country. Is, is this office, you know, double the, uh, the space of, uh, you know, the rest of the country? What's typical? Cost per foot, cost per person, uh, cost per seat. Um, these are things that can make a huge impact, even even incremental changes when applied across a portfolio. Um, even even class of building, just just standards, real estate standards that we can apply um, can truly optimize portfolios for these companies in, in ways that people just don't think about in their everyday activities because they're focused on running the company, um, doing what they do best. It's, it's having someone in the driver's seat able to present these high-level economic dashboards to the executive team that let them digest the information, and, and they'll know with us when we sit down with them how to create some very all, you know, all-encompassing in-depth strategies that really help their company achieve new levels of performance. Excellent. One, one more thing I do want to touch on is the lease abstraction, lease administration process. So at Pope Corporation, we own a software company um, and we take all of our clients' leases, we abstract those leases, we put them into the software and we use our software to um, continue to um, monitor those leases on an ongoing basis and, and represent our clients' best interest. Um, just touch a little bit on lease abstraction um, and administration. Well, I, you know, I think it's probably the, uh, one of the, the least exciting aspects of it is lease abstraction, but um, it's probably one of the most critical. I think the, the lease abstraction process, making sure that's done right, is it's where it all begins. Making sure that your data is accurate is absolutely critical to understanding your real estate portfolio. Um, That's one of the things I was most excited about in coming on with Pope Corp is that we do have an in-house proprietary lease administration platform um, with a portal that clients are able to go into and see in real time a dashboard of what their portfolio consists of with, you know, what's my rent in X region versus Y region and how does that compare to the rest of our portfolio, it's tremendously powerful. We're able to make informed decisions in real time with accurate data. That it, it, it's it's incredibly powerful, and it's it's hard to overstate the importance of properly abstracting a lease and uh, inputting it into a platform such as ours, a lease administration platform such as ours. It allows us to stay in front of critical dates and make strategic decisions for the direction of not only a single location, but a direction of the company instead of constantly making reactionary decisions under short timelines. Well, thanks, Chaz. I mean, we, we've really just scratched the surface of your knowledge and, and uh, we're going to have to have you back on the show again. I think anybody that's watched this show can tell how excited I am um, to have you on board and um, how excited our clients are 
um, to have you on board as well. And um, we'll have to have you back again soon. I would love to come back. I, I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, I'm, I'm, I, it's hard to overstate how excited I am to be here. So I, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks.